Let's talk about God. What does God mean to you? The debates continue to rage. Firm believers, firm non-believers, firm agnostics, not so firm. The entire spectrum. This three-letter word, God, evokes perhaps more conversation and more debate than any other word. But what we can find very interesting is this. What do we even mean by that very word? Before we agree or disagree, before we say I believe or don't believe, what are we believing in or not believing? One of my favorite lines is from Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Radichev, who told a self-proclaimed atheist, he said, the God you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. You hear that? So let's talk about God. What does it mean? Is God relevant? Please join me in this important conversation that has an impact on everything and anything we are involved in. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and welcome. We'll be speaking about, Is God Relevant? This program is dedicated by Derek Mortland in honor of his father, Jack Mortland. So let's talk about God. What do you think about God? This three-letter word, G-O-D, has evoked and provoked perhaps more controversy, more arguments than any other word. There are firm believers they're firm non-believers. They're extreme, extreme people of faith. They're extreme atheists, agnostics, less extreme, the entire spectrum. Everyone has an opinion on this. But before we agree or disagree, before we establish opinions and formulate ideas, shouldn't we first define what the very word means? How can you agree or disagree if you don't know what we're talking about? One of my most favorite lines from Rabbi Yitzhak Bardichev, who said to a self-proclaimed atheist, he said, the God you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. So if one believes that God is this old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne in heaven, waiting for us to sin and strike us with lightning, I would say I'm an atheist if that's the definition of God. So we need to define terms. What are our axioms? What are our givens? Our assumptions? Before we talk about it. So, of course, if you describe God in a nursery school fashion, then God wouldn't be very relevant. Maybe something cultural, maybe other factors that, that play into our lives, which we'll talk about. But relevant? Personally relevant? So this is an interesting statistic that in the United States and probably all of the Western world, and maybe all of the world for that matter, but what I've read I believe is an American statistic, is that over 90%, 95% of Americans believe in some form of God, some form of spirituality. But only 40% are associated with 
religion are affiliated or connected with some religion. That's a pretty big um, disparity. The reason for it is very obvious. The word religion, what does it evoke in most people when they hear the word? So let's begin first with a more mild and innocuous and even nice feelings and reactions we have to that word. Religion associated with tradition, ritual, prayer, faith, family, holidays, houses of worship, clergy, blessings. Many people have very beautiful nostalgic memories and associate it with beautiful things. But if you go a little further down the spectrum, religion for many is associated with words like guilt, punishment, judgment, condescension, neurosis, shame, fear. These are words that for many haunt them and actually are very negative, very toxic. And people have had called toxic religion, toxic religious experiences, which did not leave them just neutral, left them with a very bad taste and negative taste. You throw in some abuse, God forbid, and people being hurt in the name of religion or by religious authorities, then that takes a whole nother dimension. And then you have, of course, the Woody Allen stereotypes, which often, more often than not, are accurate. Not that they're accurate definitions, but they're accurate stereotypes, because that's the image people have. I can give you a whole litany of uh, anti-religious jokes that so many of us identify with. I'll just mention, uh, I'll mention two of them. So two guys get lost in a hot air balloon. And they don't know where they are. And they're looking for a direction. They see someone down below and they yell down, where are we? And he yells back to them, you're in a hot air balloon. And then a gust of wind comes, whisks them away, and back to square one. They don't know where they are. So one says to the next, what was that? He says, that was definitely a rabbi. He says, how do you know? Because what he said was true, but irrelevant. I always get tremendous laughter when I tell the story, and the laughter tells me right away what audience it's like. Here I can't hear whether you're laughing or not, but hopefully it evoked at least a smile. Another one. This is a a classic. Guy comes to a rabbi. I mean, this could be a rabbi, it could be any uh, member, any man of the cloth, any uh, clergy person. He comes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I hear that the Torah, the Bible, has the secrets of all truth. Yes. Will you teach it to me? Of course. How much will it cost? How can I charge you? God didn't charge when he gave us his mandate, these these teachings. Moses didn't charge us as well. So the man is doubly impressed. Not only is he going to get the truth, the secrets of the universe, the secrets of life, but he's also going to get it for free. They sit down, they open up a Bible. It's in Hebrew. He doesn't read Hebrews. The rabbi says Hebrew lessons will be $20,000. This is another classic. And of course, what does it leave us with? That image of, besides the fact that religion is filled with, con- with, with, with corruption and con artists, that it's always a, there's always a catch. 
<clears throat> now there's no doubt, I'm sure some of you, some of us, have had beautiful experiences around faith and religion. But many have not. And then when you throw into the equation, the battle between science and religion, that began, we'll say, right after the, the time of the Renaissance, what is called the time of open inquiry, open-minded questioning, that we no longer just accepted the absolute truths of the church or of our religious leaders and began thinking and challenging and being skeptical. So that opened up a whole door of a challenge. No, we're not just accepting absolute absolute statements made from any authority. And that battle continues to rage, even though it may not be as pronounced, but it's there, it's subliminally there, and actually very overtly there in almost all of our society. It manifests in many different ways. And what lies at the heart of it? That until that point, and of course this took time, it wasn't just it happened in, a, in one century, it evolved, but there were times where it finally exploded, that until a certain point, natural phenomenon and everything going on in the world was attributed to God. A volcano, lightning, a thunderstorm, was a godly act, and often associated with God's, either God's wrath or God's love and finding favor in the eyes of God. Science explains it all in natural ways where you don't need to rely on a God that's intervening in every step of the way. I'm not going to go through the whole discussion elaboration, then throw in Darwin and evolution. Basically, God became unnecessary, as some scientists put it. We can explain the universe without a God. Now, the extreme religious... Of course, of course, oppose that. And there you have, pitted against each other, two very different viewpoints. How could you cut God out of the picture? And they saw science, some saw science, as a threat. We all know the classic Galileo story, where he was forced to recant by the church when he came to the conclusion that the earth orbits around the sun, not the other way around. In other words, it was not earth-centric, which was so much the focus that God created earth as the center of the universe. So this is the classic example used, how religious shut down open-minded thinking. Free inquiry, the free mind. And that has been essentially how it's been positioned, these two extremes. Now, to be very honest, the Enlightenment and the open-minded scientists and thinkers all felt that within a century or two there would be no more religion or faith because science would replace it all. And even if there would be, as uh, some of the, as, uh, as, as many of the, some of the French thinkers felt, there would be, it would be for the masses, for the foolish masses that need someone to guide them. They need faith or God as a crutch. As Voltaire said, that if God didn't exist, they would create him anyway because they need it. The humans need it. So, and all other type of cynical statements like that. But that religion should still be thriving in the 21st century. And intelligent people, not just what they call the masses, the fools. They actually dismiss them as being like the waste of the, pop, of the citizens. 
There's a French word they used for it, very dismissive. That it should still be vibrant and intelligent. People see the value of religion that was not foreseen. Because there's another way, like I said before, the God you don't believe in, I also don't believe. There's another way of understanding God. And in that context, it's not a contradiction to science. The same free mind, the same open mind, and free and a path of free inquiry, and open inquiry, can understand that both complement each other. That science can explain and understand natural phenomena, but science does not explain how that natural phenomena got here. Like one scientist told me, we can explain things from the Big Bang and on. We can dissect it and analyze it and evaluate it. And look at the technologies and the medicines and all that has been developed. Breathtaking breakthroughs. But what put those first gases there that allowed for the Big Bang to happen? That's in the realm of metaphysics. So yes, in a certain way, science can say we don't need God to explain a thunderstorm or a volcano or an earthquake. Even though that's also arguable, more than arguable, as I shall explain in a moment. But you still need God to understand where did it all come from. And that comes us to compels us to re- relate to God and to redefine God. So perhaps, yes, the God that science rejected maybe deserved to be rejected. As Nietzsche said, God is dead. And as those who understand Nietzsche understand, he didn't say God, he said the God we have is dead, was never alive in the first place. And of course the, the humorists like to add, and then God said Nietzsche is dead. <clears throat> but if you define God in a very different way, that God created a world, a natural order, with rules and laws, and, allow, and actually created science itself and the wisdom of science, and allows human beings with their intelligence to tap into that wisdom, that's a very different understanding and actually complements science. Furthermore, not only complements, it's actually necessary. Because it's like saying, okay, like the, the, that older, that, the, the nursery school um, image, what does the globe rest upon? on the back of an elephant. What is the elephant standing on? On the back of a turtle. What's the turtle standing on? Some other creature. And what's standing beneath them all? We forgot to ask. Or as that other story goes, where a scientist says to God, we don't need you anymore. Everything you can do, we can do. And God says, show me. So the scientist goes to his lab, takes out a clump of earth, and says, I'll show you this earth. I'm going to show you how I can make things grow out of this earth. And God smiles and says to the scientist, well, use your own earth. Yeah, you're taking the earth I, I, I created and you're replicating that which was already within there, the power. So they actually complement each other and actually are necessary. The study of understanding the wisdom of the divine within nature is also part of the divine. But there are things that are beyond that. Not just what is the first cause and what put it all here, but what is the very purpose of existence? You can be the greatest scientist, be the most brilliant mathematician, with the most powerful logic, but you may not even know why you're here. Because that's not the domain of science. Same thing with morality and values. Science is neutral. Science will not tell you, is the atom, atomic energy good or bad? Depends how you use it. And who determines how you use it? Deeper values. So let's redefine God in that context. 
God is not that nursery school image I mentioned before. Think of God as a higher reality, the essence of it all. The thing that put it into motion and gave it purpose. And all of the design and all of the complexity is there for a deeper purpose. And that purpose is that you and I come into this world and yes, use our minds, use our objectivity, use our skepticism, our questioning in an open and free inquiry world. Don't try to understand the universe, but also use it to not look, close down the purpose of your very existence. So the first and most important thing in understanding the relevance of God is understanding, I would rephrase it and say, what is the relevance of your existence? That it goes hand in hand with the relevance of God, the relevance of your life. Why are you here? Are you necessary? Are you indispensable? Or are you just another grain of sand on a big beach? Negligible. That science itself and the mind itself will not answer. You need something that's higher. And we all sense, unless we've been jaded or polluted or corrupted in some ways I described earlier, we all sense there's a higher reality. There's something more. And today, in the world, we know that the invisible forces, the things we don't see, and we don't touch, and we don't hear, and we don't smell, and we don't taste, are far more real. They drive existence. The DNA of existence, the building blocks, the subatomic particles. A very different reality. That which is beneath the surface is far more relevant and far more important than that which is on the surface, which is at the tip of the iceberg. So actually the search for God, the search for that purpose, is actually the search of what lies beneath it all. Not just on a scientific and human level, but as I said, in terms of why is it here? What is its purpose? I don't think there's anything more relevant in life than that. You can have the best tool chest. You can have all the resources, all the intelligence. But if you don't know the why, why am I having all these tools? What am I going to do with them? Are they, do you have a relevant life? So the first and most important thing to remember is the very essence of God. And frankly, if I had it my way, I wouldn't even use that word because it right away can evoke and provoke all types of stereotypes. But we've already used that word. The first most important statement is that you are a piece of God. That God created you in the divine image and gave you an indispensable mission and calling in this world. I'd like someone to tell me what's more relevant than that. Making money? Having pleasure? Enjoying life? Even having success on a material level? All of it pales in comparison to understanding why you're here. What unique contribution, what mark in the universe are you making, are you going to make? And that's the statement. That is the relevance. And science and all that we human beings have discovered and will discover does not answer that question. There you need to go to a place that's what we call beyond the structure of existence. That's where faith comes into play. And faith is not that stereotype of blind, the absence of reason. Where people say, oh, faith is a crutch. You don't un- un- since you don't want to understand it, you just rely on God. No, faith is actually beyond reason. The reason takes you to a door 
And to enter that door, you need to take a certain leap. When someone falls in love with someone, they decide to commit to them for the rest of their lives. Is that an act of pure reason? Reason has led you there. This person seems to be the right partner for me. But there's always going to be next step. And everything in life, whenever you have to make a decision, is always going to have an element. Hopefully, it's driven by reason and not, not irrational or emotional. But then you come to a point where you have to make a choice, you have to make a decision. And that's where the God particle comes in. So the fact of the matter is science is not at all a contradiction to the relevance of God. On the contrary, I would say that God makes science relevant, not just as a tool to improve our lives, to better our standard of living, and all that technology and communications has achieved, but to tell us purpose. Why? Why do I need all these communications? Why do I need all these technologies? What am I doing with it? So when you enter the world of to be a kinder person, to bring more light into this world, to spiritualize the material existence and turn it into a home of total harmony and seamlessness and love, a world of love, then you've entered the domain where you realize the relevance of your life. And of course, therefore, the relevance of God. Today, I would argue that God is more relevant than ever, or I would say is more needed than ever. Because the more successful we are in the material world, the more distracted we become. And the more we need to be reminded, why am I here? Not the what. Not what are you going to do, but why are you doing it? The purpose of it all. So if we were able to really strip God from all the trappings and trimmings and bureaucracies, corrupt or not corrupt, that have so much, in a way, hijacked the idea of God, we would have the single most necessary component in life that we should teach our children from the youngest of age, of ages, that you're here for a purpose. You are an ambassador, actually a piece of the infinite and beyond the infinite, to turn this world and transform and reveal the extraordinary within the ordinary, the infinite within the finite, the eternal within the temporary. But the fact of the matter is that God and many associated elements to it have been hijacked, have been distorted. So our job is to cut through all of that. And with that, I'll share this story I've shared a number of times. Early years when I began giving this class. So the core group were people from the, the arts and entertainment industry. And people very spiritual, but not from the, in the traditional sense of the word. Didn't come from any particular religion. On the contrary, it was mostly rejection of religion. But music, soul, goes together with uh, spirit. So we had interesting, it was a very interesting interaction, synergy. I coming from a more traditional world, but also driven by the spiritual sense, uh, soul of it all. And I realized, sitting there with a beard and a yarmulke, that even before I open my mouth, I'm not projecting a neutral image. 
So I don't know what the people are thinking. They don't tell you what they're thinking. Everyone is stereotyping all the way, and I am right there, a, uh, like a lightning rod. So I may remind one person of an angry grandfather that schlepped him to synagogue against his will on Yom Kippur or whatever. Or irrelevant Hebrew school teacher, a religious teacher teaching him hollow religious lessons, bar mitzvah lessons, bat mitzvah lessons. Or maybe even evoking a memory, a beautiful memory, of sitting at grandparents' Seder table or some other beautiful experience. All that was unknown to me, but I realized I was not neutral. So I decided, you know what? Because I want to communicate and really get through and understood that language, on one hand, is critical to communicate and connect, but language could also be loaded. I may mean one thing when I say a certain word, God, and the person listening may mean something else. The God you don't believe in, I also don't believe in, so to speak. So I tried an experiment. I decided not to use any religious terms. Not God, not Torah, not mitzvah, not faith, nothing. I created my own language. Instead of God, I used words like the essence of it all. Higher reality. Higher states of consciousness. If it was a particularly new age type of audience, I would say things like undefined states of undetermined, of undetermined energy, indeterministic energy. Instead of Torah, I use the word blueprint. Instead of mitzvahs, I use the word connections. Instead of redemption, Geula, Mashiach, I use the word destination. And here I was pontificating, waxing eloquent about connecting to the essence of all reality, following a blueprint, making connections, channels, and ultimately with the goal of creating total fusion, seamless fusion between the inner and the outer, between matter and energy, between matter and spirit, between form and function, between the deterministic and the indeterministic, in one beautiful harmony and cosmic symphony. And I remember vividly how people were listening, they were like, they were loving it. If I may say so myself. And I continued every week discussing all these aspects and how we do it and how we, what are the challenges, avoiding the ego and the self, allowing that energy to flow, making these connections. And in very specific terms as well, applying it to our lives, our daily lives, the battles of our life between self and higher purpose, higher reality. After a little while, maybe a few weeks, a fellow came over to me and said to me, you know, you've been teaching, was beautiful, people love it. But tell me, are you speaking about God? And I smiled and I said, yes, but shh, don't spoil it for the others. And it worked, it worked much better than I expected. Because the language was one that was not in any way prohibitive, it was not a language that in any way was loaded with previous misconceptions or preconceived notions. And I saw how when you speak about these ideas without getting trapped in particular words, we're all connected in the deepest possible way. And then God becomes absolutely relevant. So what I would say instead of asking is God relevant, is the higher, is the higher reality relevant? Is the true essence of existence relevant? Is your true essence relevant? 
I don't think we need to debate that. There's obviously so much more that can be said. This just touches the tip of the iceberg, no pun intended. There's so much more, so many more depth. But I hope this provokes some conversation and thought. And above all, it's not just about ideas, it's actions. How are we going to act? Because at the end of the day, the relevance of God is how are you going to behave? What are you doing with this information? I told a scientist I know, I don't know many, but one special one, we talk about this, and he's always arguing with me about this topic. He says, we don't need God. I said, you know, you always tell me how religious people are subjective, either due to their education, their upbringing, their brainwashing, they're being programmed, and they just are insistent there is a God, and there are rules that we have to follow. But you have to admit that you're also subjective. A scientist, he says, how? I have no agenda here. I have no, um, nothing to gain. I says, yes, you do. If you don't have a God, you're not accountable. You don't have to answer to anyone. If science can replace God, science does not demand accountability. Science is neutral. It's the understanding of the universe. A God would make you responsible and accountable because God created you and all of the science and all of the world. So you have vested interest. So you should recuse yourself as well. And say, at least qualify and say, my opinions also have benefit in my interest. He refused to acknowledge that. Then God helps. I'm using God. And I read Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley has an interesting line. He says, I'm just paraphrasing, that before I begin my arguments, I want to let everyone know, a disclaimer, that the reason I don't believe or don't, or, or don't accept God is because I have interest. I don't want a God intervening in my personal choices, especially in the area of sexuality. He says it much more eloquently. And I showed it to this fellow. I said, I respect that. At least he's being honest. That he has interest and that's where he bases his ideas on. So don't tell me that God is not, it's relevant to you too, not to have a God. That, that you can do everything, you don't need a God. Because no scientist in his right mind will say, absolutely, there's no way there's a God. Even though there are a few that say that. Because you can't prove that either. Karl Popper already said that a scientific theory is one that has to be able to be disproven. So the statement, God exists, is not a scientific statement because you can't disprove it. You could say, I may not need one or think you don't need one because I can explain everything without God. But that doesn't mean it won't be better explained with a God because at the end of the day, who put it all in motion that you're explaining it with all that? Who gave you the clump of earth? So in that context, think of it that way. I think if we get rid of the negatives, we'll find tremendous relevance. And to conclude with the words of Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, he was a child and they asked him, where is God? He said, wherever you let him in. We have to get our egos, our self, out of the way and then deeper truths emerge. This has been Simon Jacobson, MeaningfulLife.com. Please check out our wide, broad array of offerings of every topic in life, Meaningful Life. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please share. 
And I'd love to hear your feedback, comments, questions, suggestions. Thank you. Be blessed. And demonstrate your absolute relevance and indispensable contribution to this world and to life. Thank you. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.